Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. I'm going to turn it over to you guys in just a minute, but um, I I think y'all are awesome. I just want you to know that. And I've had an opportunity to hang out with Noah. Um, it's like an annual thing, honestly. And so it's been good. And, and, and just the times that we've had. And, and like I said this morning in church, um, and I want to talk about them as a couple. And I want to share something I overheard them, just so you guys know how serious they are. Uh, like, I don't know if I've ever met someone as young that walks in the type of humility that these guys do. And, and I'm not just saying that. now. I don't know, maybe it's all a front, but I don't believe that, you know. You can judge for yourself afterwards. But uh, today, I get to Long Island, and how many of you guys prayed for me while I was driving in Long Island today? Hey, I hit no traffic once I got out of New York City. Come on, somebody. No traffic. It was awesome. And then coming back was even easier. It was, it was amazing. Um, so thank you, because I was very terrified about that. But I, I pull up, and they're like, come to lunch with us. And it's Pastor Todd and uh, over at Church Unleashed and his family and, and the youth pastors there and Noah and Maddie. And so I sit down, and I got, I got a free lunch out of it. So hashtag blessed. Um, it was great. But while I was uh, sitting there, I overheard them talking about discipleship and how God has placed it on y'all's hearts to disciple 1,000 young adults, 1,000 young adults. And so they've started an online Bible study. And um, and y'all, I don't want to tell it all, but like, here's what I'm getting at. These guys are the real deal. And so, Maddie, it is an honor to officially meet you outside of through Instagram, right? And Noah, it's always good to see, it, see you. So if you guys would, please give a Res Church welcome to Noah as he brings the word. Hey, if you love Jesus tonight, can you just make some noise one more time? Man. I can tell that you love Jesus. That worship was powerful. Did you hear this band up here? Are you serious right now? I kept looking at Maddie. I was like, wow, did you hear that voice? And then the next person would sing. I'd be like, wow, did you hear that voice? And then the next, it just is an unbelievable amount of talent up here, um, anointing up here on this stage leading worship. And uh, it is such an honor for Maddie and I. I know I can speak on her behalf to be with you in Brooklyn, New York. Oh my goodness. The church is alive and uh, we are so thankful to be here. I had the honor and the privilege to meet the Bishop Pastor Joe uh, not too long ago. I was actually speaking in Albany um, at Revo Conference for Pastor Mike and uh, had the opportunity to sit down and eat some spaghetti with Pastor Joe in New York. It was a life-changing experience. And uh, the wisdom and the deposit that he made into my life, I am eternally grateful for. That is a man who has been with Jesus. And uh, I know he's not in the room tonight, but I think it would just be appropriate to show honor to him. Can we give it up for Pastor Joe and everything that he's done for this house? Absolutely incredible. And uh, I also would like to take a second and honor my friend, Pastor Mike, who, um, man, 
I want to say this. Um, every time I'm around Mike, outside of being a phenomenal friend, which he is to everybody, uh, he is a phenomenal friend. He is an anointed leader. And I have never met someone, I mean this, I've never met someone who's more willing to do hard things when God calls them to do it than Mike Moore. Um, what he's doing right now, uh, traveling back and forth during the week, trying to steward two different calls on his life while also stewarding the call of being a dad and being a husband and all these different things because he heard the voice of God say so is truly incredible. And every time I'm around him, that's my takeaway, that when God says to do it, I better do it. Even if I can't do it on my own strength, he will show up. Mike Moore is a living testament of that. Can we honor Pastor Mike for his leadership, the way he says yes? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I want to jump into God's Word. If you've got your Bible, we're going to talk about a familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bible on, that would be great. Unless you have an Android, just leave it in your pocket. We can't have you disturbing the airwaves in here. <laughs> but uh, my name's Noah. I'm 26 years old and uh, gave my life to Jesus at 21 years old. Had a radical life transformation. The story of the prodigal son that we're going to read tonight was my story. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And uh, from an early age, I felt the call of God on my life, but started running pretty hard from him. Um, about 16, 17 years old and ran until I was 21 and uh, gave my life to Jesus through a YouTube video. And uh, I have been shouting his name ever since. I went from death to life. I was blind, but now I can see. I was deaf, but now I can hear. And by the grace of God, I'm standing before you, not as someone who has it figured out, but someone who is very much a work in progress. And um, I am very, very thankful to be here with my beautiful wife, Maddie, who you met just a second ago. We met two years, or I'm sorry, we got married almost two years ago. And uh, it has been the greatest almost two years of my life. Um, yeah. Uh, this girl right here that you just met is the absolute uh, treasure of my heart outside of Jesus. I've never met someone who loves more like Jesus, who talks more like Jesus, and who serves more like Jesus. And uh, she makes me so much better. We've got some good news, too. We are expecting our first child. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I kept, I, this morning, uh, I was meeting people and I was telling them, I was like, We're, we are 15 weeks pregnant. She is 15 weeks pregnant, but I'm eating like I'm 15 weeks pregnant. I'm just like, give me the extra New York pizza. Come on, somebody. So, um, but we, uh, we're really, really thankful. God has blessed us far more than we deserve. And uh, we get to do ministry in Atlanta, Georgia, where we serve for my father, who is uh, the lead pastor of Neighborhood Church. And as Mike said, we lead a ministry called 
called Neighborhood Young Adults, which is seeking to disciple a thousand young adults this year. Um, we had this crazy dream where we were like, what if we discipled a thousand young adults? We were able to give them these incredible Bible study resources, ship it to their home, and walk through the Bible with them throughout the year. And so we started dreaming about this, and um, it was going to cost $50,000 just to pay for the resources that we wanted to send out. And I remember sitting down with Maddie and saying, I don't know where we're going to get $50,000. About 30 minutes later, I made one phone call with the guy who owned the company of the Bible studies we wanted to use. I called to ask him if we could get a group discount. And he said, here's a thousand Bible studies for free. So right now we're sending out Bible studies all over the United States. Um, God is so, so good. And uh, man, it's an honor to be with you tonight. So Luke chapter 15, I know that if you've been following Jesus for uh, any length of time, you've probably heard this passage of scripture before. This is the prodigal son, but um, I really feel like God gave me a fresh word when I opened up Luke, Luke chapter 15 this past week. And so uh, isn't that the amazing part about God's word? You can read the same passage a hundred times and it can speak to you different every time. And that's what it did to me. So if you've heard this preached before, if you've heard Luke chapter 15 taught on before I urge you to stay with me tonight because I think that he's brought Maddie and I from Atlanta to give you a fresh word. Amen? So Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read it quickly because it's a lot of text. So here we go. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me my share of your estate? So the father went ahead and distributed between the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings, traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry because there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished he was willing to, to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a single thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never again be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me my best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger, and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. If you want to know if God cares about shoe game, this is your verse right here. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For my beloved son was once dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. What a story. What a story. Um, 
The title of the next 20 or so minutes that we have together, the title of my message tonight is The Question That I Have for Jesus. The Question That I Have for Jesus. Before we pray, um, I love to preach God's Word. My, the only thing I like to do more than uh, be with Maddie, be with Jesus himself, and, and preach God's Word is to preach God's Word somewhere where people preach it back to me. So I hope you feel comfortable. You can say amen, hallelujah. You can say preach it, white boy, whatever you want to say. You just say it. Um, if you hear something you don't like, just email me at mikemore at reschurch.com. <laughs> Love you, Mike. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for these moments where we get to gather, we get to worship you. We don't take it for granted, God. We felt you here tonight already. We're expectant for what you're going to speak to us through your word. We ask that you would ready our hearts for what you want to deposit. We love you. We thank you so much for New York pizza. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So a couple weeks ago, um, we celebrated the resurrection of our Savior on Easter Sunday. Anybody thankful for that? Um, what an incredible day. I trust that you had an incredible day of celebration as we did. And uh, I, I look forward to Easter every year, obviously, because it's the day we celebrate um, Jesus rising from the grave. But if I'm honest with you, I, I also look forward to Easter every year because um, I absolutely love Easter egg hunts. Uh, I am 26 years old and unashamedly in love with hunting Easter eggs. I love it. Uh, I took the strengths finders test one time and my top strength came back as hunter of eggs. I, this is just, I, I love it. Like we had an Easter egg hunt at our church uh, a couple weeks ago for the kids and the entire time they were out hunting eggs, my hands were twitching because I wanted to grab the eggs from these kids. Um, but luckily my family has been having a, an annual heron Easter egg hunt for, since the time I was like eight years old. So my my mom and dad, they'll put eggs out in the yard. And um, at some point as we grew up, I have a little sister. She's a few years younger than me. And, and as we started to grow up, they began to, uh, they stopped putting candy in the eggs and they replaced the candy with dollar bills. Come on, somebody. Okay. Some of these eggs even had $5 bills. Okay. And every year there was one egg with a $10 bill. So you understand that these Easter egg hunts are built different. Okay. <laughs> they're built different, but they're not just built different. They actually got violent. Why did they get violent? Pastor Noah, they got violent really simply because I have school loans. <laughs> You think you've seen a good stiff arm watching football on Sunday afternoons. I promise you it does not compare to the stiff arm I gave my little sister a few weeks ago when she tried to take the green egg off the fence post. I was like, nah. <laughs> you know, so, but I love Easter egg hunts, and, and we're having this Easter egg hunt, Maddie, myself, and my little sister, and I'm about halfway through the hunt. I turn around, and I look at our yard, and I had a realization, and it was this. The realization was that my parents were enjoying the Easter egg hunt more than we were. <laughs> they were. 
my dad has his cell phone out standing in the middle of the yard. He's holding it sideways, which is a telltale sign that you're over 40 years old. No offense. If it's sideways, you're over 40. If it's this way, you're under 40. So he's got it like this. He's on Facebook Live. There's like three people on there. And he's given a play-by-play of this egg hunt as if he works for ESPN. He's like, I think Noah's got it this year. His bag's looking heavy. Uh-oh, but keep an eye out on Maddie. She's getting near, she's getting near some eggs. I'm like, what is happening? You know, my mom is in the other corner of the yard and she's saying things like, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. And and they just, they've got this huge grin on both of their faces as they're watching us hunt for plastic eggs. And I was like, is this Easter egg hunt for us or for you, right? But their delight was in our discovery. They delighted in us discovering these eggs. Did you know that it works the same way with God? That he literally delights the more we discover him. That he literally finds joy in our discovery of his goodness, of his grace, of his presence. That this gives the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords joy. He delights in our discovery. But the word discovery implies that someone has to look. It implies that someone has to look. Now, Jesus had this habit of making people look for things in stories that he called parables. Right, so he understood this principle. Jesus had lessons that he was trying to teach his disciples. He had lessons that he was trying to teach people all throughout Jerusalem. And so what he would do, he had two options. He could just give them the answers, right? Or he could hide them in a parable and say, those who are hungry enough to look will learn. Now, just like any great teacher, he knew the better option was not to just give out the answer to the problem because that doesn't lead to learning. This is how you can take four years of Spanish class and not speak a lick of it because you cheated on all the tests and didn't care to actually look and learn. I don't know this from experience. I just heard it in a parable one time. But he chose the other route. He said, I'm going to hide these truths these godly principles in stories called parables so those that are hungry enough to look will learn the lesson. Those who are hungry enough to look will understand more of me and they will discover me and it will not only bring me as God as God uh, joy, but it will bring them joy as they discover me. Are you willing to look? Have you ever felt like God made you look for something? Have you ever felt like maybe God made you look for him? I've found that um, in my life several times looking back when things got the toughest, when life punched me in the mouth, maybe, maybe there's some of you, you're experiencing that right now. Maybe there's sickness in your family. Maybe there's uh, relationships that are falling apart at the seams. Maybe there is a lot of stuff going on in your personal life that, that's weighing you down. And, and, and it feels like life is punching you in the mouth at the exact same time that God seems to have gone radio silent. And if you're like me, you have these conversations with God in those moments, and you're like, now is not the time. (laughs) Of all times, this is not the, the moment for you to start hiding. But what I've learned this past year is that God does not hide from me. He actually hides for me. 
I'm going to say that one more time because only four people right here got it. God does not hide from me. He hides for me. That if it seems like God is hiding, if I will just keep showing up, if I will just keep being faithful, if I will just keep doing the last thing that God told me to do, if I will just keep tithing, if I will just keep saying, God, I trust you, that as I show up to look, I begin to learn the lesson that he has not left me. Can I tell you from experience what happens when it feels like God is hiding from you and you choose to look anyways? Your struggle becomes your greatest blessing because you will find a faithful God, you will find a good God, you will find a God who is fighting battles for you that you saw and some that you didn't see because God is good enough to reveal himself to us when we look. There are things about God that I never would have known if I didn't have to look. I would never know God as my provider if I had not lacked. I would never know God as my comforter if I had not been uncomfortable. I would never know God as my defender if I had not been attacked. I would never know God as my gyra if I did not have tough times. He will reveal himself to us as we look. He promises that he will draw near to us as we draw near to him. This story of the prodigal son is so powerful. Because the father knew that what his son wanted to do would not end well. He knew this. Just like any good father, when the son came and he said, I want you to give me all my inheritance. I want you to just give it to me now so I can go to the city and, and have a great time. Did you notice the translation I read said binge? I thought that was a Netflix word. It's not. It's in the Bible. <laughs> he said, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go. And the father knew. He knew that this was not going to end well. But he didn't try to stop the son. He let him go and hoped that he would learn by looking. Now, what we have to make an observation about is that we, we read the whole story, so it's not like a plot twist at the end. We know how it started and how it ended. I read you the entire thing outside of a little bit at the end where his brother got kind of mad, but you know that part, and so we're not going to focus on it too much tonight. But you know the end of the story. He desired his father so much that he came back to the house. But at the beginning of the story, he didn't desire his father. He desired what his father could give him, what his father could give him. I remember when I was in college, which was not that long ago, um, the thing that I loved the most was getting mail. And uh, I loved getting mail in college because I was the three varies. I was very broke, I was very hungry, and I was very hopeful that someone would send me a package that would fix one of the other two varies. <laughs> so anytime I got a notification on my phone that said I had a package, it did not matter what I was doing, it didn't matter who I was talking to, it didn't matter what class I was in, my mom hated that one. I would leave that conversation or that person or that class, I would run to the mail room, this is a true story, I would run in there and I would try to see what package I had just received. The, the packages in my life were above even people in my life. And I wonder how many Christians have elevated what God can do for us over who God is to us. I wonder how often we are seeking the delivery that God can bring us over the deliverer who God is to us. Maybe chasing after the promises of God more than we are the promises of God. What we see in this story is the maturation of a son from going after promises to going after the presence. 
The sign of a spiritually mature follower of Jesus is that you are hungrier for the presence of God than you are the promises of God. Here's the reality. If God did not do a single thing for you for the rest of your life, you would already be the most blessed person on planet earth that he who knew no sin would literally become sin so that you and I might become right with God. We are blessed. We are not worshiping for a blessing. We are worshiping from a blessing. He has already been good to me. He has already been faithful to me. He has already done it. Now, the story goes on, and the part of the story that spoke to me differently was the struggle of the son. The struggle of the son between him chasing the promises of God to chasing the presence of, the God, of God. There was a struggle in the middle. And this is the part that spoke to me because growing up as a pastor's kid, my parents would make me go to youth camp. And uh, youth camp was always interesting. Because I was the pastor's kid, I saw it a little bit different than um, the other kids at camp. And I noticed the theme every year at youth camp. The, the first night of camp, you know, normally it'd be like four nights. We'd go to some campground. They'd bring in a preacher whose jeans were a little too skinny or whatever. And, and the preacher would get up. And um, always on the first night, he would preach the story of the prodigal son. And uh, I would always see it coming. It was like, as a, you know, just there every year, be like, oh, tonight's prodigal son night. Because that pastor, they, it's almost like they told him, hey, let's get all the rowdy kids who are sitting in the back saved so that we can preach about other things the other few nights. Like, this is, this is how it worked. So I knew this, like, going in. And um, it was always preached as if it was this story about reaching lost people, about lost people coming to Jesus. But as I was reading this, I realized this passage is not about lost people at all. It's about people who were with God, who made God their prize, and at some point along the journey decided that they were going to try to make something else their prize and see if that would fill them up like Jesus. So the prodigal son is not a story about people who are far from God because they've never known God. It's a story about people who have simply turned their back on God, maybe for a moment, maybe for a season, but nonetheless, they are no longer in the house of God. And I read this and I was like, man, this is powerful because he was in the house, he left the house, he began to struggle, and it was in his struggle that God began to do something in his heart. Now, I know in a room this size, there are other people who are like me who have struggled. I'm not talking about before you accepted Jesus. I'm talking about after you accepted Jesus. You gave your life to Jesus and you thought you would never sin again. You thought you would never fail again. You thought that life was going to get perfect. And so all of a sudden, when that sin did show up in your life that you struggled with before you met Jesus, you started having conversations with God that looked like, am I doing this right? Are you, do you care? All these different things. Maybe you started having battles in your mind saying, I'm not going to go to church this week because I feel like a hypocrite. I'm not going to show up to Bible study because I don't know if I'm really doing this the right way. And so you start having these, these things. And I want to encourage you before we break it down any further, that God would rather have a struggling son or a struggling daughter than no son or daughter at all. He would rather, he would rather have one who is coming to him honestly saying, this is where I'm at than one who decides to live far from him. 
See, the word struggling is an adjective. But the word son is a noun. So when we talk about struggles, we're talking about something that's temporary. But when we talk about you being a son or a daughter, we're talking about something that's eternal. What is a struggle? What is a struggle to a God who literally defeated the greatest struggle of all time when he walked out of a grave? See, struggles are no problem with God. The problem with the story that we're talking about is not the struggle. It's becoming a son or a daughter of God. This is the problem. Because to be a son or a daughter of God, you would have to be matchless, you would have to be blameless, you would have to be holy from the moment that you were born until the moment that you died, which we both know, you and I both know, you and myself could never do on our own. But thank God that while we could not be a holy son, that he sent his only son to die for a wretch like me because of the grace of Jesus Christ, I get to be called son despite my struggle. I want to remind you tonight that you were called son by a God who knew about your struggle. He did not call you son from the beginning of your story. He called you son from the end. He is the alpha and the omega. So he can speak truth over your story from the end as if it is the beginning. Go back to the story of the prodigal son. The son, he blows what his dad gave him. All the money his inheritance on a binge of extravagant and reckless living is what my translation said. And uh, this thought, this thought of blowing inheritance is a thought that um, it seems like it's all about money, but in reality, it's something that we can do as followers of Jesus too. That we're given this crazy, incredible inheritance called the grace of God called being a son or daughter of God. And the way we blow our inheritance is simply by turning our back on Jesus. It's by taking for granted what God did for us. It's by spending that inheritance on on a little bit of hidden sin, on, on a little bit of hidden greed, a little bit of hidden lust, a little bit of hidden pornography, a a little bit uh, of, of alcohol, uh, Abuse, whatever you want to, whatever you want to list, whatever sin you want to talk about, this is how we blow our inheritance. And I know the question that you have as someone who's blown their inheritance because it's coming from someone who's asked the same question and has blown theirs. And the question that I have for Jesus is how could you possibly let me back in the house? After you would give me a gift as great as your grace, as your blood, as taking your place, and then you watch me go and spend it on something, knowing that it is wrong, knowing better, how could you possibly let me back in the house? I want to read you a scripture in Matthew 11, verse 28. It says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice what Jesus Jesus did not say in that scripture. He did not say, come to me all who are crushing it, all who are living your best life, all whose Instagram profiles look perfect and money is doing great in the bank account. No, he said, come to me those who are weary, those who are burdened, 
those who are struggling. If you are one of those three, three things tonight, I've got great news for you. It's exactly how Jesus prayed you'd come to him. This scripture has become my favorite scripture in all of the Bible. It, it, it never was. I had lots of scriptures on the grace of God. I had lots of scriptures on the plans he had for my life that were my favorite. But then I made a discovery just a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, about this scripture that has forever changed my life. And it's that it is the only scripture in all of the Bible where Jesus himself describes his own heart. The only one. You can find scriptures where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. You can find scriptures where he talks about the people he cares for. You can, you can find scriptures where he talks about the Father's heart, where he talks about the Father's will, where he tells stories. You can find all sorts of things that Jesus said, but there's only one scripture where he describes his own heart, and it's in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here it is, for I am gentle and I am humble. In heart. If Jesus Christ had a website in 2021, if Jesus Christ had an Instagram bio in 2021, it would simply read gentle and humble in heart. This, what does this have to do with the prodigal son or what we're talking about tonight? I'm glad that you didn't ask because I'm going to answer it anyways. It has everything to do with it. C.S. Lewis broke down this passage of scripture and said that him being gentle and humble in heart would equate to him being the most approachable and understanding person of all time. That Jesus Christ is the most approachable and understanding person of all time. This is really easy for us to believe when we feel close to God, when we're living a holy life. But the moment we start to struggle like the son, at least for me, I don't want to speak for you, it's, it goes from me believing he's approachable and understanding to me believing that he's condemning and that he's judging me. And so the last thing I want to do is take my struggle to someone that I think is mad at me. And so I take a step back. Instead of taking a step forward toward Jesus, I take a spiritual time out. But Jesus wants us to know that he is gentle and he is humble in heart. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You want to know what the joy was? How could you even have joy while you're hanging nailed to an old tree? How is that even possible? How can you even do that? Jesus, Jesus did it. Jesus had joy hanging on a cross. Why? Because there was joy set before him. You want to know what was on his mind when he was hanging on the cross? It was you coming to him, struggling, weary, and burdened, and exchanging that struggle for an easy yoke and a light burden. This is what was on the forefront of Jesus' mind. It was you coming to him, struggling. Did you notice that when the son came to the father, that the father did not ask him where his money was. He did not ask him what his repayment plan was. He did not ask him what he spent it on. The Bible says that while the son was a long ways off, the father ran down the driveway with his best cloak, his ring, and his Jordan 4s and said, let's throw a party. My son is home. Now, I don't want to skip past this part of, of the scripture because it says while the son was a long ways off. And this is a big deal because it implies that the father was looking to the edge of the property. 
It, it implies that he was looking before the son ever came into view. Before the son saw the father, the father saw the son. You want to know what happens when you do turn your back on God? This is for someone who, who, who is here tonight and you have turned your back on God. Jesus' response is not to turn his back on you. His response is to turn his gaze to the edge of the property and anticipate your return. Here's the good news. The good news is not that Jesus is king. The good news is that we serve a king like Jesus who would be approachable and understanding, who would look at us in the middle of our struggle and say, bring it to me who would look at us in the middle of our biggest failures, of our biggest insecurities, of our biggest sins, and not turn his nose up or lose patience with us, but literally say, bring it to me. It's not that Jesus is king, it's that we serve a king like Jesus. That, that we are not better at being bad than he is at being good, that we are not better sinners than he is a forgiver, that we are not better at, at being like the devil than he is at being God. And so tonight, the question I have for Jesus is, how could you let me back in the house? And his answer is, it's because it's who I am. It's because it's what I came to do. And this hit me like a ton of bricks as I was studying this passage of Scripture. And the moment he answered that in my spirit, I had another question for Jesus. And the question was, what would happen if I came home? What would happen if I turned back to you? Because that's all we're talking about tonight. There's a huge lie going around that if you've messed up and you've turned your back on God and, you've, and you're struggling, that you've got to fight your way back to Jesus. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You simply have to turn around. You simply have to turn around. What does turning around look like? It's very simple. It's repenting of sins and worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's saying, I refuse to live dead to, dead to my, my spirit. I refuse to live in my sin. I want to come alive in Christ Jesus. Lord, forgive me. Let me put this under the blood. And in that moment, what you will find is that God has not forgotten about you, that he has not abandoned you, that he is right there to greet you with understanding and approachability because it's who he is. So my final question for Jesus as the, the band comes is what would you do if I turned back to you? Verse 22, Luke chapter 15, turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me my best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate for my beloved son was once dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he is found and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. You wanna know what would happen if you chose to turn back to Jesus tonight? He would throw a party. The most extravagant, party would be going on in heaven tonight that you've ever seen. It doesn't just happen when we give our lives to Jesus. It happens when we leave the house and decide to come back. I had this realization recently. The realization is that 
I am probably going to fail again. I probably am. I'm not intending to. It's not my heart's desire. My heart is to try to be more like Jesus every day. But I know me enough to know that no matter how hard I try, I am probably going to fail again. And I had this, this visual in my mind of being in a boxing ring. And uh, I'm in one corner of the boxing ring, 167 pounds soaking wet. They've got a Photoshop biceps onto me. <laughs> and in the other corner of the boxing ring is this big, tough boxer that reminds me of Mike Tyson after he bit that guy's ear off, you know. And that corner of the room is, 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 is Satan, it, it's the devil, it, it's temptation, it's the sin in my life. And I had this visual of me in this boxing ring trying to fight and getting punched and getting knocked down. And I thought, how many times do I get knocked down and I hop up and I act like I'm good? And I hop up and, I'm, I, and I, act, I put on this front to everyone around me as if I'm perfect, right? This appearance, this filter. And I think without even realizing it, when we do that, we aren't just putting on a filter and an appearance to the people around us. We're actually creating space between us and God. Because this appearance that we're putting on is stopping God from stepping into our, our, our broken and dirty places and replacing them with his heart and with his desires. See, the devil is not afraid of getting in the boxing ring with perfect Christians. In fact, I think he loves it. But what the devil is deathly afraid of is getting in the boxing ring with a follower of Jesus who when they get knocked down knows they have the power to stand back up for the righteous may fall seven times, but they get back up. Tonight I've got one message for somebody in the room. Tonight is your night to get back up. You don't have to do it on your own. There is a God in the room who says, give me your burden, give me your struggle, give me your sin. It is the entire point that I left heaven was so that you could come and leave earth and go into heaven with me. It takes one decision to say yes to the God that's in the room and it will change your life forever. Will you stand with me? If you're here tonight, if you'll close your eyes, everyone in the room, if you're here tonight and you say, and you say, I want back in the house. I want back in the house with Jesus. You were, you were with God, you left the house, and now it's time to come back in the house. You made some things your prize, you made some things your goal, and now you're saying, I realize that those things no longer fill me like I thought they were going to. Those things no longer give me peace like I thought they were going to. The only one who can do that is a person named Jesus, and I want back with him. If that's you, will you raise your hand right now all over this building? I'm turning back to Jesus tonight. I see you. I see you. This is what I want to do. I know we got some prayer partners in the room. If that's you, if you'll just come up to the front of the stage for me, our, our prayer leaders. And um, if, you wrote, if you raised your hand and you would like prayer, we're going to have people down here who want to pray with you. 
And so in just a second, I'm going to start praying for you. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come down or you can pray at your seat too. But the, the power is not in my prayer as much as it is in your prayer and your conversation with God. And so I'm going to start praying. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to just get out of your seat or just begin praying in your seat. And when we're done, we're going to begin to worship Jesus as heaven throws a party for all of the people who are turning back to Jesus tonight. Dear God, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, not when we cleaned ourselves up, not when we looked like Christians on the outside, God, not when people recognized us as followers of you, not when we stopped our old habits, not when we stopped our old thoughts, but God, in the middle of our mess, you chose to come to earth, hang on a cross, suffer the penalty of our sins so that we wouldn't have to. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, it is by that alone that we're here. So for those of us in the room who came in here struggling, came in here hurting, came in here weary, came in here tired, we're done carrying that struggle on our own. God, tonight we're putting it under your blood, under your feet. We're taking it to the foot of the cross, God and we're giving it to you, the approachable and understanding God that you are. It is a reckless love. It is a crazy love. It is a love that does not make sense to our human minds sometimes, but God, it is the love that we got. And we are grateful. How could you take us back into the house? It's because it's who you are. God, we worship you. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. Amen. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.